Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the program. I'm Candid Frank. He's David Norris Judy. And we're here to talk Leaf Talk. And, of course, as we all know, uh, for those of us that are following the NHL playoffs, we know that they've begun. Uh, We know that the Leafs drew the team that we all thought they would draw. Uh, going back to probably January, and the only question then, even though Montreal did for a time approach the Leaf position and were ahead of Boston, it pretty much was a drawn conclusion that it would be Boston and Toronto, and the only thing that needed to be thought of up until about a month before the season ended was where the first game would be played. Well, that was determined, and of course, uh, the Leafs have since played two games in Boston, one game in Toronto, and in Boston, it was a tale of two games. And uh, I guess, uh, first of all, I guess let, let's talk, and I, let's welcome in David Morissuti. Let's talk about uh, going in, uh, what were some of the things we thought um, that didn't transpire? Well, obviously, we talked about kind of what the Leafs needed. The Leafs needed to win a game in Boston. I think we both. Yeah, that's that's a given. That. that was a given, and we also talked about. Uh, we talked about the officiating, and it's it's very interesting how those two things really played a factor in those first two games. Yes, and um, one of the things to note. Uh, what I discussed the whole time and what I concerned myself with were and was the Leaf team going to be able to handle the officiating, which we both predicted was going to be clearly one-sided. I, I, okay, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm going to say I felt that the officiating, I'm not surprised about the way the officiating went. That is how it goes with Boston. Um and I'm very disappointed in, in a lot of people who have commented. I am not going to defend what Kadri did in Game 2. But we'll, more about that later. What we said, and what I said was, will the Leafs be able to maintain their cool when it appears the officiating is, is one-sided? I think we both agreed that it was going to be that way, and one of the challenges the Leafs would have is not letting it blow up their game. Do you agree or not? Oh, I agree 100%. I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure you 
heard Don Terry's comments during game two and how the Leafs should stop complaining to the rest because in my experience in life, complaining about something that continually happens and you're trying to get changed, complaining about it, whining about it doesn't usually Are two different make things. It. it never works. And um, right. I think I think the Leafs were definitely frustrated. The Leafs were they were well I'm trying to think of the proper term. I think the Leafs were um they were brought back. I'm trying to think of like they seemed like deflated by just how how much the officiating was playing a role in that second game. Not as much the first game, but the first game I didn't see an issue. So that, that's how listen, I Yes. Uh, sorry, uh, having a little difficulty with the audio, and um, for some reason I'm getting feedback uh, trying to control it. I apologize to the listeners, and most of all, I apologize to you, David, because you're getting it firsthand. Um, we can we can uh, discuss uh, the right a person has to complain about what's going on in their lives, uh, you know, in society. We frown in some, in, in part, in part, we frown on people who are whistleblowers. Yeah, we look general. at what's going yeah. on. We, we look at what's going on politically. You know, uh, we've got a, a, a member who is attorney general who is, you can either, there's two ways to look at it, not one way. It's not the way Cherry says, it's not the way, uh, what's his name, the former Leaf. And I, I, for some reason, psychologically, I want to forget his name because sometimes he says stuff and I just want to bury my head. Um, a- anyway. Um, <laughs> well, Nick Kiprios. Yeah, Nick Kiprios. You know, it, it's how we look at things. And the question is, the real question, the question that doesn't get raised is, are we watching a league, the National Hockey League, that cares about fairness and equity? Are we watching that? And if and when fairness and equity is not um, handled uh, in a way that's clearly correct, what other option do players have? What other option do teams have? Well, here, here's the, the option where I want to start by saying this. At no time, and I probably can throw you in here too, at no time do I agree with what Kadri did. At no time do I agree with taking a stick to somebody's head. In this case, it was the side of, uh, of, of his head because he turned his head, if you notice, just in time. And, and Kadri was delivering the message before he even – it wasn't one of those sneak attacks. You know what I mean? It was one that uh, I know from what I saw, it looked to me like he was delivering a message and he was you know, basically saying, I'm going to cross-check you in the head. Are you ready? And yes, he did a lot of impact and all that stuff. I totally agree. So no excuse for that. But on your subject where players complain to the officials, to suggest to suggest that the Leafs' complaints about the officiating, when you're being punched for the second, third time, and you look at the referee and go, well, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. That's sending a clear message to the referee. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. 
you're, you're trying to keep the referees accountable for what you deem to be unfair and unbalanced uh, officiating. That's what it is. It's, people think of it as, oh, they're trying to get calls. No, they just want, they don't want the refs to tip the scales in a game. That's what, that's, that's what it comes down to. They don't want the refs to give the team an advantage because that's not what the referee's job is supposed to be. But I, I you know, I, I still, I still find it difficult. In in the case of of, of DeBrusque, the, you know, the, the, they're talking. If you're listening and reading between the lines, and 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 kind of listening, as I said, between the lines, I believe the Leafs said, and this is what I believe the Leafs said to to the office, to the person handling the punishment. Louis DeBrusque was going beyond the line, and your officials did nothing. Went into the boards with Dermot. Dermot took an elbow to the head. That's, that's a headshot by anybody's definition. Bloodied his nose. No call. Need Kadri. Whether we want to talk about intention, no intention, did he do it? It's such a crock of baloney. Do you know why it's a crock of baloney? Because we live in an era in the National Hockey League where they've decided and they understand they can no longer read somebody's mind. All they can do is judge the actions of an individual. Did he, with his knee, plant his leg in the ice and hit Kadri's knee, sending him flying? They said he jumped. Yeah, sure he jumped to try and get out of the way of the, of the hit. But there's no doubt that knee was placed out there. I don't agree. I don't agree at all. I don't even agree at all that this was not a kneeing penalty. So it definitely was a penalty. So he didn't get that. Then he boarded Marlowe. I don't think it's an accident that he decided to slam Marlowe when he got to the curved part of the glass. And in my opinion, Kadri wrongly wrongly had enough wrongly had enough and what he should have done was offered his mitts and should have said come on show me show me you got guts and 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 in that case that's when a fight is valid because that's a way of telling the referee you're not happy with his officiating do you agree with that yeah i mean Everything that led up to that moment, you could tell. Like, look, Calgary and DeBrusque had been going at it in game one. And the referees left. They, in game two, I think that was, they said, okay, if these two players want to go after each other, that's fine. But, it's you know, um, one uh, that I listened to recently was Terry Fraser. We know Terry Fraser is one of the most... Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. He's, he's had his history as, an, as a referee. No. And, and history and with the league. Especially <laughs> with the league. Um, he was the one that, that mentioned that, you know, a lot of what the referee's problems is if they just called the rule as it's written in the book, there would be no right. issue. Right. And I would, and I would agree that the, the Jake DeBrusque and it's, uh, Louis is his father, by the way. So I, I yeah, no um, 
you know, whether the intent was to hit Kadri in the knee or hit him with the shoulder, there's contact made with the knee. That is clear in the rule book. You're not allowed to make contact on another player with the knee. That's a penalty. I would have, if, he, if I guarantee, if that was called a penalty, Kadri would not have been steaming as he did on the Marlowe hit. Now, at the same time, the Marlowe hit, I think, pushed him over the edge. And I agree with you that did was wrong. Like, you know, in that situation, I don't mind if you go after the guy, but A, why are you targeting the head? There are a lot of other things you can do to send the message. And Kadri chose cross the line with his message. I mean, A, I would have, if I, I mean, I'm not a hockey player. I can't speak to how his brain is working. I probably would have said, okay, you just hit a guy that I have a lot of respect for, Patrick Marlowe. We're, go, we're mm-hmm. dropping the glove. That's what right. I would That's what should have happened. That's what should have happened. And now the Leafs are, are paying the consequences for which, I mean, it could have been worse. I actually think the Leafs were are fortunate, I mean, based on how the series goes, that Kadri didn't get a set number of games. I think they I think that was the NHL's compromise in a way. And, and I think that games, compromise at its root was knowing full well that the Leafs had on video the irresponsible behavior of the officials who allowed Mm-hmm. Violent acts, violent acts to go. You know, at the very least, that hit on on Marlowe was a was a boarding penalty. Whether you want to admit it or yeah. not, that was a boarding penalty. Those that curved glass is there because it, because Chara with a hit against uh, um, Pacioretty. Pacioretty, that's correct. They changed that. He could have ended Pacioretty's life. You know, it wasn't just a, you know, a so-so thing. So we can't suggest, and the Bruins can't suggest, and DeBrus can't suggest that he didn't know that he, if he pushed, if he pushed Marlowe at that time, he wouldn't hit the curb glass. If he tries to suggest that, you know, I, I, I really, I really, to suggest that a player doesn't know where and when he's hitting a guy, that's just BS. So he knew what he was doing. He was trying to hurt Marlowe. He was trying to hurt him. And, and and that is clear. And I believe that's one of the things the Leafs brought forward to the league and said he used that curb glass the same way somebody uses the glass to board somebody. And, and especially... Well, I was going to add to that. Let's not forget who went to that meeting with Kadri. Brandon Shanahan was there too. Oh, absolutely he was. And he probably was livid. Well, remember what Brent Shanahan's role was. He was you know, living. Yeah, and he was, he's been there. This is a guy whose former job was the head of the Department of Player Safety. There you he go. Knows. So, uh, yeah, I 100% guarantee he made a comment. And I'm sure that made a, you know, that had an effect on how the the suspension played out. And how game three won as well. And did you like the comments that 
the game wasn't as good because there wasn't that extracurricular activity, the, those dirty hits, no blood, no attempts at injuring. Um, as I said, very little respect for Nick Kiprios, and, and here's why. Not just that he said that, that he actually, on a Canadian broadcast, the home network for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the rest of the Canadian teams, he sided with the Bruins. He clearly sided with the Bruins. How did he side with the Bruins? Here's how. He said, because of the effect the officiating had, now that the, now that, uh, the game is being played cleaner, now that the refs are paying attention, the advantage goes to the Leafs. Why didn't he say that when the referees were putting the whistle in the pocket and suggest that it was an advantage for the Bruins? You see what I'm saying? Yep. You know what? Um, I, I was listening to somebody else's comments on that. Um, Paul Bissonnette, who used to be an enforcer in the league, he has his own podcast as well, and he said, the moment the refs put away, it gave the Bruins an advantage. The advantage. Absolutely. And, and you're right. Especially, go ahead, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, you're right in the regards that the poor officiating made Saturday's game ridiculous to watch compared to last night. I don't, can't, you can't tell me that last night wasn't a better game to watch, whether you're a Leafs fan or a Bruins fan. I know the Bruins lost, Here's, but guess what? It was a way more entertaining game than it was on Saturday night. If your, if your definition of a, an interesting game is watching talent clean physical contact uh, as direct as possible officiating that could be could be you know a more even-handed uh, example of officiating if you're suggesting that that's better hockey I couldn't agree with you more when the opposite is where you show where we're watching a game where clearly one team is getting favored by the officials Clearly, we're not talking here maybe a little here, maybe a little there. We're talking about clearly the, 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 uh, the allowance the referees gave the Bruins to intimidate and gang up on Leafs, to gang up on them like they did, like they did with Tavares. You know, was it three or four guys attacking him in front of the net? Allowing that uh, yeah. to happen, uh, yeah. allowing that to happen with no message to the Bruins saying, you know what? We don't approve of, of second man in, third man in, fourth man in. We don't, agree, we don't approve that. It's in the rule book. It, it, when Chara started punching Kadri when he was on the ice, he should have received a roughing penalty. Yes, I understand that Kadri was the instigator of that action by Chara. But what we're talking about here is, historically, and the way the rules are applied, we all know that Kadri, anybody who isn't biased, or maybe I am biased, Kadri was reacting to what he felt was a dirty play or a series of dirty plays by an individual. Just as Chara did. Chara was defending his player and doing it in an illegal manner. But he was not penalized. What should have happened there, there should have been a five-minute major to uh, to Kadri, 
and a two-minute minor for roughing. And that's probably another thing that that, uh, Shanahan mentioned. You know, and I know I would have. I would have said, you know, I get it. I get it. My guy did what he did. He's he's 100% wrong. I do not support what he did. But I also have to take his side in this regard. You guys, your officials did not do a good job, a fair and balanced job when it came to officiating the game. The bottom line, that I think the Leafs finally have somebody who, who will stand up for them, and the players know it, which is important. And and this is why what Kadri did. Now this is everything. Everything we talked about is bad. What Kadri did, why he did it, all of it. No excuse. But would you agree? And this is the this is the upside of what Kadri did. Whether he intended to do this or not isn't what I'm questioning. Isn't what I'm suggesting. But it highlighted the fact. It shone a very bright light publicly, where something horrible was done that should never have been done. That was unacceptable, dangerous, and could really hurt somebody permanently, shone a very bright light on this series. And that bright light is to the advantage of the Maple Leafs. Well, yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, the Bruins, I think part of me also wonders, Considering what happened last year with Kadri getting that three-game suspension because of him retaliating for a shot that Marner took, did the Bruins have that in their thought process and saying, look, after game one where the Leafs, let's be honest. They they can't play with them. They can't play with them. That's the problem. So was it in the Bruins' thought process in that Okay, we know Kadri has a history where he is willing to go over the line, cross the line. Yes. I, I, I wonder if that, I mean, it's going to... You actually, you're actually wondering if that's the case? You're actually wondering? I like you, know, you, you know you believe, you know you believe that they're not, they're pretty smart. These are, these are guys that know each other really well. These are teams that know each other. They, they analyze everything about a hockey game. They analyze stuff we don't even know they're analyzing. And I think that's one of the things that they analyze. They go, how can we draw a penalty? You don't think they think about it? You don't think they give that anything? You don't think teams give that any thought? I think they, they do think about it. It's just, I'm wondering, are they willing to go to a certain level or to a certain point where you risk or you risk doing something like let's say let's say Marlo got you really mean, hurt. Somebody being play. hurt because they're they're pushing the envelope, bringing yeah. on what could be. So in other words, uh, DeBrusque was there to SD, right? Excrement yeah. disturb, right? They sent him out that he well you know they don't even have to send him out there, but we know that coaches have sent players out to be disturbers, right? We know that to be true because coaches have been fined for that very act. So we know it exists. How far it exists, how deep, how wide, we can't say. And we're not suggesting every coach tells every player, hurt that guy. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I am saying, and we've seen it in the history of hockey, 
where players do what they can by crossing the line and seeing how close they can hug the line or even cross it and see and test the waters to see if the officials will bite. He went to the well, DeBrusque went to the well as many times as the referees allowed him to. To answer your question, I believe you're right. I believe that's true. And I believe it's part of the game plan. Well, to now, suggest it isn't at all is naive. Well, now I think the Bruins realize that this Leafs team is not like last year's team. Like last year's no. team, that, that put them in a big hole. Look, this time around, losing Kadri is not it, – it's no really hard to lose a guy like that. But it's it, we've seen this Leafs team at least go through that before. Last year's team never had to deal with Kadri being out of the lineup. So, I end the Bruins. Well, they're, may two, have they're two and eight. Uh, sorry, six and two without Kadri in the lineup, counting last night's game. Six and two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, you know, Kadri hasn't had, I, I think part of it was Kadri hadn't had the best season going into both. You and I both said he needed to, take his game to another level. And look, in, in that game too, he was by far the best player on the ice. This is a guy that can have an impact in the series. Um, but we've seen that this Leafs team hasn't had to rely on him as much. And that's why, you know, losing him isn't the end of the world. And we saw Babcock's first Absolutely. adjustment last night, which was to play Marlon Mass. Sorry, not Marlon Mass. Tavares and Matthews more. Yes. Yes. But you and I said that, I I know I did, before the playoffs started. I I said, and I stick to what I said then, um, even going with seven defensemen, if their defensemen aren't, you know, aren't uh, 100% healthy, they could go with seven defensemen. They really could. They could go with seven defensemen, and the extra ice time, you know, would would be swallowed up by, by, you know, by Matthews and I mean I think we we also have to suggest it's not just about replacing Kadri it's about re- relying on Gauthier to be that good fourth line center that you don't have to worry about the fourth line so now all you're worried about is inserting somebody in the third line from time to time and then you also have as the plan went you know you also have Nylander and we saw a lot of times out in that game last night Matthews and Tavares on the ice at the same time. And and that is a byproduct, and I think a good byproduct, of the absence of Kadri. Because you're giving Matthews an opportunity to get more ice time. You're allowing Tar- Tavares to change his game depending on the situation. If he's out there with Bergeron, he's worried about being defensive, right? If he, Bergeron's not out there, then he can start thinking offense, and he can, and you know, and that's what he did in the power play, right? That beautiful backhand blind pass uh, to Janssen. Yeah, to I your mean, point. I look back. If we want to look back at game two, I think a big what the Bruins did well is they took the least big guns out of the out of the equation, and the depth couldn't couldn't uh, you know have an impact. I think 
I mean, as much as losing Kaji sucks, the benefit was that you put Tyler Ennis back in the lineup. And we know, right. and I always say, Tyler Ennis makes that fourth line way better because he's the guy that can create offense. Gochet can't Absolutely. do that. Trevor Moore, not to the same extent. He needs somebody to, to help, you know, be a catalyst. And that's what Tyler Ennis brought. So I think. But on the Tyler Moore front, if I can inject, I understand. Let's also consider. Are you as surprised as I am? Before you, I want to I want to commend Tyler. Uh, I want to commend Moore because his ability, his strength on his skates, is becoming clearly evident in this Boston series, where he's hard to knock off the puck, and he has some he has some contact strength that I've noticed. I don't know about you, but Ennis is like you say. Uh, Ennis is more of the finesse guy that he you know he is he is the he is the cheaper version, and I hate to use, I shouldn't use the cheaper version, but he is a smaller version of Marner, is what he is, in my mind. Well, let's not forget, this was a guy that was a first-round pick. You know, I remember watching him at the World Juniors, a great offensive talent, even Buffalo. He was a good offensive player. Absolutely. And injuries really took a toll on him. And I think... Yeah. The Leafs have done a. I mean, Leafs are one of the better teams in the league based on their commitment to sports science. And he he's lauded about that. He's made that perfectly clear. That's why he loves what the Leafs have done with him this season. And yeah, I mean, Moore is a guy that you know at the beginning of the season, I think the pressure on him to try to make the team. Didn't allow him to be comfortable and play his game. He went back to the Marlies, did very well. He had a really mm-hmm. good audition, got called up. And I, I, I agree that his game is perfect for the bliss. You know, he's going to go to the net. He's going to not get pushed Not afraid around. of I mean, physical contact. Not afraid of physical he, contact. He hit Chara. He took down Chara. That's a very tough task. Especially for a guy that's around, like what six inches smaller than Tara and sixty pounds smaller, <laughs> you know, that's not something you see. And I think that with a clean like, check, might I add? Oh yeah, very. I mean, look, Tara. If you're taking on Tara, usually it's not by a clean hit. So I give him a lot of credit for that too. And um, yeah, he he made the fourth line. That fourth line was very good last night. I mean, they're always better at home, I I, I, I find, because of the, you know, but you can yeah, tell because, that when... Because Babcock can dictate when they're out there, obviously. Yeah. And they were very efficient. They had a couple of good shifts in the first period. They didn't get the, you know, I think a couple bounces didn't go their way in the first. And then in the second period, they kept at it, and lo and behold, they got the goal. That proved to be a very crucial part of sparking that lead off. To uh, compare the games, if I can just change gears a little bit here, and we can continue with uh, the specifics of, of the yesterday's game, but to to sort of review what happened uh, in game one, game two. Um, it, it, the What I think happened in game one was the Bruins thought they could play with the Leafs. They actually thought they had the talent to play with the Leafs. 
The Leafs proved, proved otherwise, I think, David, which is why I think game two, the plan changed for the Bruins. What do you think? Oh, I mean, Bruce Cassidy said before game one, his goal, game plan was to try to match the Leafs' speed. That's why David Back has been playing game one. That's right. I talked. I, I remember I told you I was talking to that Boston reporter, and she right. told me yep. he was fantastic too. Uh, she told me that they um, they realized, you know, the David Backus had to go back in because the Bruins are a fast. Or they're not a slow team. They they've got quickness. Well, absolutely. But what makes, them, but what makes the Bruins the Bruins is how how they are. How the how the physical game is, you know how that right. creates problems and slowing down teams. They just, they had a really tough time slowing the Leafs down in Game One, and they did that way. I mean, look how many passes were being fumbled by the Leafs. How many times did they, you know, fail to get deep in the offensive zone? The Leafs had no pressure on the Bruins defense because the Bruins the four checkers were slowing the Leafs down. They couldn't get to the, the defenders because they couldn't get to the puck. Um, so that was a big change you saw between game one and two. And also, you know, contact has you has you concerned. But I think that, that you know, it's funny. I, I wanted to see Muzzin and uh, Zaitsev together going back to previous shows. And I, I wanted them to see them together for a different reason. What I didn't understand, but I think I, I, I think it, it's fairly true, is that Zaitsev, when someone responsible is beside him, someone that's you know, geez, you know that that really is dependable, Zaitsev plays better. And the other thing that Zaitsev doesn't do too much and didn't do too much during the regular season. And in that game one, uh, he and Muzzin were very physical with the forwards. And being very physical with Bergeron, and of course, you know, you know who, <laughs> Marshawn, um, is difficult at best. But if you can develop a physical, you know, uh, approach that is successful without going over the line, I don't think that line can handle the physicality. And I think in game one, you know, uh, when you have when you have a guy like Tavares, who's physically, we all know that he's a specimen of some sort, the kind of guy that's hard to knock off the puck. The same thing is true because he's hard to knock off the puck. I think it also says that he's hard to avoid coming to get the puck. He, his physical strength handles Bergeron quite well. He really can negate Bergeron. Now, now while you know one of the weaknesses of Tavares in that game one, um, we didn't see because, in essence, Bergeron's not exactly the fleetest of foot either. So that competition between those two comes down to strength and power. And I give Tavares the heads up on that, and I think he's proven it in this series. And he proved it in that game one, and he proved it again in game three. Yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to give you. We were talking about you were talking about Zaitsev there. I wanted to give him 
credit in game three. Because, look, I, I you and I were talking a bit during game two, although I was uh, I was out Busy. so we couldn't have, didn't have, and Lesnar struggled a bit in game, in game two. Um, Lesnar had that one play where he missed, uh, read the pass, whiffed on it. Uh, if he didn't, that would have been a great, really good play and send the lead the other way. Um, but in game three, I loved how Zaitsev played in front of the net. Now, with that, with the puck, there was some concern. He had that one penalty that could have been a backbreaker. But when he needed to clear a guy from front of the net, I mean, I had a guy, I saw a guy on social media complaining about when Zaitsev cross-checked uh, Pasenak in the back in front of mm-hmm. the net. Look, you do those things to keep the goal, to keep the puck out of the net. If you get called for it, you know what? It's a battle. You're battling. I didn't have a problem with that, but I loved how he uh, battled in front of the net. You know, he he stopped. He saved the lead from getting scored on in front of the net too. I don't know if you caught that one. A couple of times. That's what he needs to do. He needs to, you know, the Bruins need to know that, that you know that that Ma- Muzzin and uh, Zaitsev are going to be to play a game. Game two, I don't think, like, you know, Muzzin realized after Pasenak uh, took that charge at him, he realized, okay, I need to I need to respond here, and he did that. And in game three, I felt they were much better at, you know, we can't let, we can't be the ones to get pushed around. We have to do it. And we saw that. And, and uh, two points. Um, Muzzin establishing that he can hit and hit hard as you said about um you know Hyman hitting uh Chara establishing that you can hit and you can hit hard does make the uh, opponents think a little bit especially if you can do it cleanly especially if you can do it cleanly uh, as far as the the hit by in front of the net by Zaitsev, he had he he hit him with his fists, not with the stick, if you notice, and not literally knocked him down as he was getting the puck. That play there is all about timing. If the puck is in behind the net and you do that, Dave, that's a, David, that's a penalty. If you do that before the puck arrives, you know, to the player. That's a penalty. But if you do it when the puck is arriving and it's in front of his feet and about inches away from his stick and you hit him, that's legal. That's the difference. Uh, that's the way I see it. That's my excuse I'm making for Zaitsev. Like it or lump it, that's what it is. That's what I think. And I've seen a million times defensemen do that, and I've seen defensemen get away with it when the puck is behind the net. We've seen, you know, and that's no excuse. If it's a penalty, it's a penalty, but it needs to be penalty a penalty all day. It can't just be a penalty once in a while. So that's my interpretation of what happened. Now, I don't know. Was am I right that the puck was literally in his feet when he hit him? It wasn't it wasn't like behind the net. It wasn't just being released. It was already in where the where the player could play it. Um who I'm trying to think back at that moment. Oh, don't worry about it. If you can't, if you can't remember, it's okay. That's 
that's what I saw, rightly or wrongly, that's what I saw. I saw that the puck was in, within grasp, within a split, very split second of being able to be played. And it was one of those, one of those plays. How many? Okay, put it this way. Oh, it was a, last no, night. It wasn't. It was in his feet. It was right there. I believe it was. And another second, it would have been on his stick. Another split second. You know, a, a matter of a foot, maybe 18 inches, it would have been on his stick. Yeah. So to me, that's not an illegal hit by a defenseman. Um, it isn't even a borderline. Borderline to me is when the guy's in, in the crease and a guy's about to make a pass and he gets knocked down. Uh, watch every game from now on and you'll see defensemen knocking guys down um, to the ice. And a lot less times they'll be, they'll be knocking a guy down that the puck isn't near them or that as close as it was in that, in that instance. Um, you'll see that that happens. Defensemen, they have to have some sort of, and this is the league, the way they, they kind of, you know, it's the same thing. You notice, um, to give you another example of how the rules are kind of gray, but kind of defined, is that interference penalty when the player shoots the puck in and you go to skate around the guy. You notice now it's okay for you to sort of get in his way without touching him, actually. You know, staying away from him, just skating, you know, acquiring space, ice, and making the guy find other ice space to get by you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this is what playoff hockey is supposed to dictate that things that, you know, were borderline calls in the regular season don't be borderline more. It's either they'll call it or they won't call it in regards to that. A play like that where Zeitz have hit the guy in front of the net will probably most likely not be called unless it's just a blatant, really bad hit. Like, it has to be, like, almost murder. That's what we, the expectation, that's what we think will happen. And I think you're right in that we're starting to see, especially with the league, really... And I'm talking about during the regular season. I'm not just talking about the playoffs, okay, David? Um, What I just talked about is about the regular season. It is basically a refinement and a better understanding by the players of the envelope they can push. And that's okay. That's what you want. You want, yeah, you want the you want the players to think their mentality that yes, I can push a guy that, in like you know how many times I think the least of the guilty of just not doing anything being on the guy in front of the net. You know, too many times I've seen and look, it's not just with Anderson, it's a spark too. I've seen both goalies didn't clear that guy. And, and we've seen other teams do it against the Leafs, where Tavares has been pushed out, Hyman, Johnson, guys like that get pushed out easily. And you wonder how can the Leafs can't do the same. And I think realizing that now, because of how much the Bruins, and one thing I've realized about the Bruins, they just love the front of the net and the slot. And the only way you're going to keep them from trying to exploit that area is if you give them a little after, you know, really push them out. Say, we're not going to give this to you easily. You're going to have to figure something else out. I think well, that's David, what, what, you're, what you're talking about 
David, what you're talking about is 100% correct. And here's why what you're, what you're saying is totally correct. If the Leafs don't do that, then they're ignoring the fact that the team on the other end of the ice, the defense on the other side, are doing that. Because in essence, when you say and said, how many times have we seen where the Leafs have allowed guys to do things untouched, unin, unin, uh, unencumbered, unimpeded? I'm using my own words now here, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm elucidating, as you would say. And then go to the other end and watch the Leafs get knocked down in the front of the net legally. This is not about me saying this is illegal. But watching the defense use the rules to their advantage and be physical to the extent Okay, maybe they're pushing the envelope, right? Maybe they're pushing the envelope. But that envelope is there to be pushed, and the Leafs need to do it. And that's my definition of why what what happened was plenty legal when Zaitsev did that. Because if you go to the other end of the ice and you watch the game and you watch the next game, you're not going to see the Bruin defenseman just leaving the guy alone. I mean, they're hitting the guys after the whistle goes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and the I least mean, have to, the defense has to make contact with the offensive players in their zone, and especially in front of their net. Yeah, I agree with that. Because that's what's going to happen to their forwards in front of their the the opposition's net. And I don't have a beef about it. I don't have a beef of of Chara using his strength and power to to knock down players, you know, in front of the net. I don't have a beef with that. Long as he doesn't cross check them on the neck, doesn't cross check them, as long as he doesn't hit them in the head, as long as he doesn't trip them, in other words, as long as he doesn't, you know, go beyond the rules. And I've established already what's good for one has to be good for the other. If the puck is going towards a leaf player and it's within a foot of that player's ability to shoot the puck and and he both hands knocks the leaf down from behind, I'm not gonna complain about that. That's hockey. That's good physical hockey. Yeah, no, I uh, no, I agree. Physical, it, physical hockey, physical hockey to me is not a crime. I'm not against physical hockey. What I am against, and I and and I'm going to repeat myself, and and this is what I'm against. I'm against players punching players repeatedly and not being called. I'm sick and tired of watching a player get elbowed in the face, drawing blood, and nobody has a conversation on the ice. Four officials, no conversation. How come he's bleeding? Nobody asked the question. Right? That's the kind of stuff that I'm totally against. I'm the first, I'll be the first to admit it. Guys like that ex-Leaf, that again, you see, I can't remember his name. It's like I don't want to remember his name. Nick Kiprios. He's a guy who made a living, who made a living breaking the rules, playing in a way that we don't respect anymore. As a, as a whole, we don't respect anymore. There still is the minority that Cherry leads and that, you know, it appears that, uh, you know, he is, um, you know, Nick Kiprios is the flag bearer now on Hockey Night in Canada. And he'd probably be, once Cherry's gone, he'll be the guy that is the flag bearer for Violence is acceptable. You know, he's the guy who dove on goalies. He's the one that that helped create the rule that stopped players from jumping on goalies. He's the guy. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
his opinion is meaningless to me. And I, I don't I don't think uh, eventually guys like him uh, are well. He's a dinosaur. You know, his way of thinking is is dinosauric. It's it's not it's not the way hockey is. Hockey can be physical. I remember one of the greatest players that was the most intimidating, but never had to give a dirty hit, never had to high stick, never had to punch somebody into submission, Bob Gainey. One of the greatest hitters of all time, and he did it cleanly. And some of the hits that he laid out were amazing. So, and I, I'm, I, I respect what he did. Because to hit cleanly within the rules nowadays is a sign of being really good. There's a guy in Washington who took a heavy suspension named Wilson, who in recent times has cleaned up his act, but he's still hitting. He's just not doing it in a way that he shouldn't. But he can still hit. He can still fight. Nobody's taking that away from any of these players as an option in their, you know, in their gameplay. Just the problem is, you know, if if a guy that plays today, like Nick Kiprios did back then, wouldn't be an NHL player if he couldn't get away with the chief shots and the behind-the-back stuff and basically the intimidation by crossing the line and being given permission to cross the line. Nick Kiprios would not be in an... He, he couldn't play a day in the National Hockey League today. And and that's why I don't like his advice on how the league should be and shouldn't be and yada yada yada. That's no, I, why I, I don't think he wants to feel that way. Definitely. Hmm? I know you're not the only one that feels that way too. Well, you know, I, I mean, it, it, you know, I would rather have Bob Gainey up there talking about what's physical. You know, I'd I'd rather have, you know, people on there who understand. Understand that kids watch this, and this is the whole reason, you know. But all that matters to the league is what kind of financial punishment will they get if they don't do something. So, unfortunately, it's not about player safety. It's about league liability. They call it player safety, but it's really about legal liability that they're dealing with. It's not about the safety of the players. If it was about the safety of the players... Um, you know, it would be about the safety of the players. But to me, it's just, it seems more like liability, not not safety. Because if if a guy comes out of a corner, out of out of a crowd with a bloody nose, and nobody says anything, nobody goes to him. I mean, when a high stick goes on somebody, you you see the referee right away. Oh, hey, let me see if there's blood there, right? Why does he do that? Because drawing blood is wrong. That's a line that you're crossing if you make someone bleed. But if you do it and the refs can pretend it didn't happen, they can just ignore it. And they'll use the excuse that, well, we didn't see it. But the thing is, there are many a time when the officials get together and they ask each other, did you see what just happened there? Did you see what happened there? Did you see what happened there? If a guy comes out of a crowd with a bloody nose... I think the question should be asked, how did he end up bloody? I think. I'm not sure, but I think. And I don't think the question was even asked. The game didn't no, lose a, a step. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think that was 
they were they were too concerned about keeping the breath, the player from going after the breath, and we saw that a couple right. times. Then, right, absolutely, because unfortunately, it is written in hockey history that the retaliator is the primary concern for the officials, not the instigator. It took a while for them to say, you know, the instigator, um, you know, and they still don't. The instigator isn't who they go after. They go after the retaliator. That's, that's the, it's in the referee's DNA that it doesn't matter who instigates. What matters is who retaliates. And it's defined by what we talked about earlier, where players shouldn't complain about, you know, bad calls. But I agree with that, okay? I don't like, I don't like when I, like, I didn't like and I don't like what Kadri was doing. I know he was getting punched, um, you know, but he should have, he, he should have, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, you know what? You know what? I don't, I, I'm trying to see things the way people see it, where you don't like the way Cherry sees it and, and et cetera, that a player shouldn't whine. I'm trying to see it and I'm trying to think of what can a player do when he's being punched repeatedly and the referee's not, not blowing the whistle. I mean, what can, what can that player do absent of that, David? What, what can the player do? What do you see as what the player, other than punching back, obviously. But then as the retaliator, you're going to take a penalty. And the other guy may not. I mean, I would probably be the person that either will punch back or, you know, just, you just can't, you would just have to be the one that's trying to shake your hand. You're like, okay, I guess that's how it's going to be. And, not let maybe. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe we agree like on that. Maybe I got an idea. You turtle. The guy starts hitting you. Turtle. And then if he yeah. hits you while you're turtling, maybe the referee goes, um, "Maybe I should give that guy a penalty because this guy here now he just doesn't want to get hit. Should I allow him to be hit? Maybe that's what the players should do. When something bad's happened, the player should should turtle. Basically, go. He's hurting me. I don't want to be hurt. You know, show their displeasure in a more subtle manner. Yeah. You know, because I, 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 I'm having difficulty, like you, I, I guess, from what from our conversation, I'm, I'm having difficulty accepting the fact that someone can't complain about being punched, slashed. I understand not complaining about being tripped. You know, you just look back at the referee while you're sliding down the ice. You don't give him a dirty look. But when you're being punched and the referee isn't doing anything, I don't know. I think that's a line the referee should not allow players to cross. That's where I, that's where I agree with you 100%. The cadre had the right to look that way at the at the referee because he was being punched repeatedly. You know, how many punches am I supposed to take before you go, maybe he shouldn't be punching me or you shouldn't let him punch me. But, you know, that's that's the kind of hockey that that the Leafs, yeah, I'm grateful. You know, I really am grateful. And, uh, and I'm very pleased in our community, our hockey team here in Toronto plays the game as right as they can. Absent of Kadri calling him a dirty player, what people are, what is what people are doing. The team plays in a manner that is not old-fashioned hockey. It is the new age hockey. It's about speed 
and talent. And with the addition of, of Muzzin and already having, you know, Brown and, and Hyman, um, these are other guys that hit really well. They can hit really well. You know, the, the hitting isn't out of the game here with the Leafs. They're just in some people's minds. I think what I'll, I'll buy I'll buy into is there isn't you know for some there isn't enough hitting by the Leafs, David. That's that's you know where I would agree. And I think we discussed about the defense in front of the net, where that is one that was one of the during the season and especially at the, at the end of the season. That's where the Leafs were failing miserably, you know, physically uh, challenging the opposition in front of the net. No, I I would agree. I would think that if near the end of the season they were not, they just weren't uh, zoned in on, you know, just playing hard against the other Making forwards. life and tough. Think, yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. All right, so game one, open, open ice, a lot of skating goes to the Leafs. Physical contact, crossing the line, Boston wins. Last night, um, we go back to uh, not much crossing the line, Leafs win. Are we going to end up with game four being crossing the line? Um, I don't think so, because I felt like the Bruins tried to do that in game four and it didn't work. Um, I think the Bruins are going to play a similar style to game three because look, it was a close game. It was like, you know, they made it close and I think the Bruins needed to have a big change after game one because I mean, it wasn't close. Now they're going to, they're going to push. I think they might push a bit harder, um, with their four check and try to really slow the lead forwards down. But I, I think you're going to see a similar style of from the Bruins from game three to four. Really? I think, I, I think so. they're I mean, gonna I, I think I, I think their backs are against the wall. They can't lose this game. No, I, I mean they, that that's probably agree with. I think they have to they could not go down three one. Because look, the Leafs have already proven they could win in Boston. So Absolutely. If you're Boston are you gonna take the chance that you can't go in there thinking, yeah, you know, we should be able to pull out a win in game uh, at home. You can't think that way. So I agree that's more desperate, and maybe that's Absolutely. something the Leafs can try to exploit. But yeah, I no, think, it, it, and it, yeah. it depends also how bright that spotlight is, that officiating spotlight remains. Well, I think they proved in game in that game that, you know, there's going to be, they're not going to allow Boston to take those, you know, they, they called the penalties they need to call. I I can't think of a play that didn't get called in game three. So I, I think it's, I don't have an issue with the officiating going into the next game. If it remains how it was in game three. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. Well, that basically concludes the program for today, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it. He's David Morissuti. I'm Candid Frank. Thanks for tuning in.
Until next time. We'll see, David, if we can do it in a couple of days, bud. All right. We'll talk soon. Later. Hello. It is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.